Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. I am the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxson. Nice to have you in the house. You're listening to America's most popular radio travel show. Now, listen, if you're a first-time listener, it's a lot of listens, isn't it? Let me introduce myself, and I'll beg the indulgence for a moment of our regular listeners. Uh, I just would like to tell you that I'm a travel journalist. I began that career about 20 years ago after spending 20 years as an investigative reporter and scandal monger at the Washington Post and a city magazine in D.C. called The Washingtonian. I'm a contributing editor with National Geographic Traveler magazine, and I write for a variety of wide variety of other magazines around the world. And over the past 11 years, I've hosted and produced 91 half-hour episodes on the world's great destinations for public television in North America. And those shows have also aired in 121 countries in 22 different languages on Travel Channel International, all of which is to say, I am not a travel agent. I'm not here to sell you travel in this show. This show is an interview-driven show that aims to get you thinking about travel, about travel issues. We try to bring you glimpses of parts of the world that are interesting and guests uh, who can speak to topics that I th- think are thought-provoking. For example, coming up in just a few minutes right here in Rudy Max's world, in about one minute, in fact, we'll meet the guy who sells the knee defender. That is the device that allows the guy sitting behind you in a coach seat on an airline flight to lock your seat into place so you can't recline that seat. Since two planes were diverted two weeks ago to remove passengers who got into a fight over reclining seats, the knee defender has taken quite a few hits because I think that was involved in one of those Brouhaha's. Then we're going to talk to the producer, writer, and director of a new documentary that is going to air Sunday evening on the National Geographic Channel. It takes a look at the day before 9-11. It's called 9-10, The Final Hours. I think you'll find his point of view fascinating. And have you ever thought of swapping your home for a vacation with someone else who's willing to loan you their home? We're going to talk with Melanie Wells of New York City, who, along with her daughter and husband, has done that several times. Uh, I want to know what goes wrong, what goes right in those situations, and how you can do it to avoid disappointment. Then the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler, our friend of the show, Keith Bellows, he just returned from the Balkans, I think like yesterday. It's a part of the world I've never visited, so I want to debrief him about that. But let's start with this seat reclining debate. Ira Goldman is the president of Right Brain and GadgetDuck.com, all one word, GadgetDuck.com. He's the creator of the Knee Defender. Ira, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on. Thank you very much. Now, can you first describe, because I've never seen one, what a, what a knee defender is and what it does, how it works? Well, they're two little plastic clips. They don't have any moving parts. And if you can picture yourself sitting in a coach seat, uh, you lower the tray table in front of you, and you put these little clips onto the uh, arms of the tray table, and you slide them down towards the seat in front of you. And if you slide them all the way down, the seat won't recline. And if you slide them partway down, the seat can recline a little bit. But then again, when I'm sitting in a coach seat, just with nor- I'm six foot three, yep. just where my legs are, the seat won't recline anyway. Right. Now, am I correct that uh, two weeks ago, or uh, about two weeks ago, 
Uh, two uh, major commercial airliners were actually diverted, had to land in another airport, which, as uh, the pilot Patrick Smith told us in the last hour, is no inexpensive proposition. It can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars if it's a big international flight. And, uh, they had to, they had to uh, land unexpectedly at the airport they weren't heading to because of contretemps between somebody who was putting their seat back and someone behind him or her who didn't want that seat back. And in, am I correct that in one case, uh, your product, the Knee Defender, was involved in that uh, dispute? That's right. Actually, there were three cases involving a reclining seat, but, in, but in, in one of them, the Knee Defender was involved. In two of them, one, the man was hit in the knees by a reclining seat, and the other, a woman with her head on, down on a tray table resting, got hit in the head by a reclining seat. Yay. So okay. um, uh, that, th- those are problems that the airline industry should address. Now, before we get into, I know I, I want to talk to you about sort of the protocol of, of reclining seats and how you would approach it in a civil way. Um, but is it your understanding, and I've read news reports on this, that most major airlines, I mean, they, it's not federal law, but airline rules, uh, they don't want the knee defender put into, put into place? Well, I... That's between them and, and their passengers. What I know right. is is that people have a right to protect themselves from being hit by moving objects, whether they're on an airplane or anywhere else. Okay. And what does the Knee Defender cost, by the way, to buy? It costs twenty one ninety five, and it's sold at the website, and that's uh, GadgetDuck.com. All right. If you feel you need a Knee Defender. Okay. So what would you do in an ideal world in which we all get along um, to as far as putting your seat back etiquette-wise is concerned, and also etiquette-wise if you're using the knee defender? Well, etiquette-wise, when you're using the knee defender, that's easy to uh, talk about. Everyone ever sold didn't have to do this, just decided to. It says, be courteous, do not hog space, and listen to the flight attendant. And what a lot of customers have written to me over the years, the product's been on the market 11 years. This is the first time an incident like this has happened. Um, People use it. And a lot of times they use it just so that they can be warned that the person wants to recline it, and then they move their laptop computer out of the way. But if a flight attendant tells you to take it off, you, you take it off. And if you have, your, have a knee defender and there's room for the seat to recline a little bit, set it so that the person can recline a little bit. It's, uh, the etiquette of, of using it is simple. It's, it's like a little warning device. It's like latching the lavatory door when you go in there. So if somebody doesn't knock, they just try to come in, uh, they can't. And then you say, I'm here. And then you, then, you, know, you do what you do and you open the door and the next person goes in. And, and the, the, the problem is that the airlines are selling me a space to put my legs when I sit yep. down in the seat in a normal and way. And they're also selling a person the right to put back their seat, too. Exactly, but it's the same space, and unless the yeah. airplanes are quantum airplanes where you can have two things occupying the same space at the same time, <laughs> it's just not, you know, I wasn't a physics major, but I don't think that's possible. I would think, I would think if I, was care- if I had the knee defender, that I would want to talk to the person in front of me first and let them know I was installing that. What do you think about that? Well, protocol. here's the thing. I've been contacted. We have about thirty by seconds people. left, uh, Iris. But I'll okay. give you the time. People Go. tell me they don't want to buy the knee defender. They've asked the people in front of them, "Could you please not recline all the way? I need a little room. I have bad knees. I'm whatever." Right. And the people say something uh, angry, and they say, "I'm going to recline anyway. I don't care." And then the people come back and buy the knee defender. They don't mm. want to buy it. They don't want to have to use it. They use it as a last resort. So they've tried courtesy over and over again, and it hasn't worked. 
But people who recline at least should look behind them. I agree. Um, yeah, uh, but but also, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess the p- person using a defender, if they haven't cleared it with the person sitting in front of them, hope when they try to recline the seat and can't think it, they think, well, it's, this seat is malfunctioning. It's the airline's fault, and there's nothing I can do about it right now. That's apparently what happens, which is an interesting comment on the airline industry. Yeah, right. Well, well, um, how you, have you seen an uptick in sales since uh, the event of two weeks ago or not? A massive uptick in web traffic and some uptick in sales, yes. Uh, people realize there's something they can do to protect themselves. Ira Goldman. Ira Goldman, creator of Knee Defender. You can buy it at GadgetDuck.com if this fits your uh, approach to life. We'll be right back here in Rudy Max's world in just a minute to talk about this new National Geographic special on the day before 9-11. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. Everybody knows vacations are instantly rewarding. Instant relaxation, instant tan lines, instant margarita buzz. With the Orbitz Rewards program, the payoff comes just as quickly. Earn free hotels faster when you earn rewards instantly on flights, hotels, and vacation packages. And you can earn even more when you book on the Orbitz mobile app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Join Orbitz Rewards today at Orbitz.com slash rewards and get instant vacation gratification. That's Orbitz.com slash rewards or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. We all know the Internet connects you to everyone. But ever think how the Internet also connects everyone to you? It's a recipe for identity theft. Thieves can get to our personal info with just a few clicks. So isn't it crazy not to have identity theft protection? I know I've got all kinds of sensitive information floating around online. The good news is you can help protect yourself with a free trial from Identity Guard by visiting IdentityGuard.com slash free. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. Heartburn sufferers can now eat at the corner of Look Spicy. And I'm going in. That's because Walgreens makes it easy with new Nexium 24-hour. Now the number one prescribed acid-blocking brand is available without a prescription for frequent heartburn. So swing by Walgreens. You'll be in and out with the protection you need to spice things up. Walgreens, at the corner of happy and healthy. May take one to four days for full effect. Use as directed to treat frequent heartburn, not for immediate relief. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at RudyMaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. It's 18 minutes after the hour. You're listening to Rudy Maxa's World. Nice to have you here. This segment of the show is brought to you by our friends at Orbitz.com who say that everybody knows vacations are instantly rewarding. Instant relaxation, instant tan lines, instant margarita buzz, if that's your preference. Well... With the Orbitz Rewards program, the payoff comes just as quickly. You'll earn free hotel nights faster when you earn rewards instantly by booking flights, hotels, and vacation packages on Orbitz.com. And you can earn even more when you book on the Orbitz mobile app. 
5% on hotels, 2% on flights. So join Orbitz Rewards today at Orbitz.com slash rewards and get instant vacation gratification. That's Orbitz.com slash rewards or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. Sunday night, September 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern Pacific, Eastern and Pacific, I should say, a new documentary is premiering. It's called 910, The Final Hours. It's a look at the world before 9-11. Eric Nelson is an award-winning producer, writer, and director. He's president and founder of Creative Differences and the director and executive producer of the National Geographic Channel special. Eric, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Now, who came up with the concept of the day before 9-11, and why did you or whoever came up with it think that was significant? Well, I came up with it, uh, and the reason I think it's significant, and I think anyone would agree it's significant, it was the day before the day that changed everything. This was the last day of innocence of America. The entire country turned inside out. And not only that, the Twin Towers, this magnificent building, this sort of collective dream, vanished the next morning. So doing a film that focused on that building on that day is what we in television call a no-brainer. Yet it took more than a decade for someone else to come up with this no-brainer. But, well, what can I tell but you? It's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting concept. But how do you... All right, you've got the building, of course. It was standing, and there are people who... Some people who... The head, the head of uh, the financial firm uh, uh, who, who didn't go in that... Canner Fitzgerald didn't go in that morning because his, he was taking his child to first day of kindergarten, and he lost 600 employees and his brother. I mean, I can see that part. But you go beyond that. You, for example... You found two people in Portland, Maine, who at the airport had run into the mastermind of 9-11. Tell me a little about that. I don't well, know Muhammad anything about Atta, that. What people, it's certainly a matter of public record, but people haven't given it as enough thought as they should, is that the mastermind of the plot, Mohammed Atta, an accomplice, left Boston, leaving two teams of hijackers behind, and drove up to Portland, Oregon, uh, Portland Maine, and stayed Stayed that night, checked into the Comfort Inn there, had a medium thin crust vegetarian pizza, hit a Walmart, checked out the next morning and caught a commuter flight, and then flew back down to Boston, where they had to go through security a second time. So we spoke to a handful of people who came in contact with them, and it's as if they came in contact with human plutonium. The residue of this experience is stuck with them for their entire lives, and it traumatized them and changed their lives. And that's an aspect of 910. It's a part of 910. And I gather a couple of the people you talked to didn't want you to use their names because uh, they still feel it could come back to haunt them. Well, no, it, it does haunt them. It's not going to come back to haunt them. It, it has haunted them. And in, they were, we were very thankful that they agreed to speak with us. But they just don't want to be stopped in the street by casual strangers saying, hey, why, did you, why didn't you put rat poison in Otta's pizza? Well because obviously we didn't have, no one could conceive, you know, even the morning it happened, we couldn't conceive that this could happen. Imagine the night before. Does anyone know why Muhammad Atta and his sidekick were in Portland, Maine? No. That is the big mystery to me. That's the big mystery at the heart of 9-11, is why would the guy in charge of the entire operation risk everything, double his chances of, of detection by going through security twice, and be off his cell phone in the most important hour before all four of his teams are moved into position. It makes absolutely no sense. 
Fascinating. Where else did you shoot? I know you dealt with, obviously, the building. You dealt with fire uh, first responders. Well, we, it wasn't shooting. It was gathering archive material. We got a, this whole a massive archive, or not massive, there's not that much there, of footage from the World Trade Center, including a film that an artist uh, who was working at a studio that they donated to a team of a colony of artists filmed in 9-10 of the thunderstorm that wiped the city air clean. There's film, a movie shot in the World Trade Center the night before it came down. What are the odds of that? And what are the odds of that film that she took the, the, the roll of tape with her when she left for the night? Sure. My guest is Eric Nelson. He's the producer, writer, and director of a National Geographic Channel documentary that airs Sunday night, September 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. It's called 9-10, The Final Hours. It's a look at... As uh, Eric puts it, the day before everything changed for this country, in fact, for the... Were there a lot of surprises? I mean, given the fact that you thought of this as a significant day, and I'm sure had to pitch it, when you actually began your research and began interviewing people, were there things that surprised and shocked you? What, didn't, what surprised me and disappointed me at first was there was so little footage. Like, there's hardly any film of the World Trade Center, not just that day before, but the five years before. People just took the thing for granted. So we wanted to show what it looked like, and we couldn't find anything until we stumbled on this extraordinary group of photographs that were taken by a Estonian electrician who had the graveyard shift in the North Tower. And across the summer, he had a lot of time in his hands, and he shot 350 high-quality digital images of every single nook and cranny of the building. And we've sort of published these for the first time in this film, and it's an absolutely priceless record of what this building was, this magnificent structure was, moments before it came down. Two questions. Why did he photograph it that intensely, and how did you find out he had? Uh, we just happened to stumble across the website. We stumbled across the website uh, on, on an Estonian website, uh, just on a random Google hit, and we discovered this treasure trove and when we found it, it turned out that mo most of the pictures had been seen 800 times in 13 years by, I guess, right. Estonians who were interested in this guy's vacation photos. So and it was did, pretty did you, incredible discovery. And did you divine why he didn't just take four pictures and call it a day? No. We, we, there's, I won't give away the film, but there's some very absolutely fascinating story behind this story, which we reveal at the end of the film. Is he still alive? Uh, repeat, you should watch the film. <laughs> All right, really cliffhanger in, in that regard. I'm sure you showed it, I know you've showed it to colleagues and, and the family. What has their general reaction been? Uh, we had a premiere last night, the screening of, at, at the, uh, at the, um, at the um, actual 9-11 Memorial Museum, and they, they, the, the participants in the film were just absolutely riveted and moved. So to see this film at Ground Zero was an incredible experience. One of the, looking at uh, some of the promotion for the, for the documentary, which I have not seen, I should tell my, the audience, um, there was a particular uh, blessing given by a priest at a fire station in one of the, one of the boroughs, it wasn't Manhattan, I don't think, uh, that was quite unusual again on that day, nine ten. Tell us about that. Well, they, uh, the day before at a firehouse rededication, Michael Judge, this incredible... Michael Judge is this incredible character, uh, this incredibly uh, wonderful priest, addressed a group of firefighters. And in this, in this uh, address, I won't say he, pro he 
prophesized what would happen the next day, but he gave this extraordinary homily to the firefighters that, again, I want you should watch the film and see what he says. I don't want to give it away, but it's truly extraordinary. Well, what's what made it so extraordinary? You said at least. Well, as I say, you watch it, it is, you know is, what happened to he and his colleagues the next day. Pretty, pretty profound. That's all I can say. Yeah, I think what I was getting at, Eric, is not something he normally said at fire stations. No, it's not something yeah. he normally said, and everyone in the room was surprised and didn't, you know, was why is he going here? You know, he never talks about this stuff. Yeah, is is there an, another? Is is there a follow up to this in your mind? For another documentary? Not exactly like this. Not exactly like this. Eric Nelson's uh, documentary, 910 The Final Hours, uh, premieres Sunday, September 7th, 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Check it out on the National Geographic Channel. Eric, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much for having me. A couple of news items I didn't have time to do uh, when we started the hour. One is the uh, big merger. This is a $3 billion deal. Uh, Norwegian Cruise Line uh, on Tuesday of this uh, past week agreed to hire the parent company of Oceana Cruises and Regent Seven Seas Cruises. So if that's a, if those are uh, cruise lines you like to sail on, well, they're going to be under the Norwegian Cruise Line family. I'm sure they'll keep those trade names, though, those airlines. And in Dallas-Fort Worth, American Airlines appointed its first female chief pilot. Every airport has a chief pilot for each airline. And... Uh, this uh, Kathy Durst is now the chief pilot at DFW. She graduated from the U.S. Air Force Academy in 81 and has had a lot of experience with Americans. Good for her. Stick around. You're listening to Rudy Max's World, where we talk all travel all the time. We got, we got more stuff coming up. Call now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com. Everybody knows vacations are instantly rewarding. Instant relaxation, instant tan lines, instant margarita buzz. With the Orbitz Rewards program, the payoff comes just as quickly. Earn free hotels faster when you earn rewards instantly on flights, hotels, and vacation packages. And you can earn even more when you book on the Orbitz mobile app. 5% on hotels, 2% on flights. Join Orbitz Rewards today at Orbitz.com slash rewards and get instant vacation gratification. That's Orbitz.com slash rewards or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. To participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. It's 33 minutes after the hour. Welcome back. Uh, as promised, Melanie Wells joins us. She's a journalist from New York, and she's founder, well, she's a longtime journalist. She did an advertising column for USA Today and for uh, 
Advertising Age magazine, and for Forbes. She was a marketing and she's got a long journalistic history, but now she's the founder and principal of Wells Narrative Group. It's a content and communications consultancy. She's an old friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, and uh, we were talking not, not long ago about the number of times she and her family have switched houses for vacations with other folks. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ree. Now, I understand from our conversations that you did not use a particular, like, home away, any of these websites that you dealt with friends. But even then, did you find any hesitation when you, ta- when you suggested this to her or they suggested it to you? And in every case, I think you've done it how many times? Four? Four times, yes. Was, was everyone different? Um, you know, actually, um, every, every experience was different, but um, no one has hesitated when we suggested um, swapping homes. We live in New York, and we're fortunate to have friends who live in different places in Europe, and so and people like to come to New York, so we've been able to, um, to suggest that we do house swaps, and everybody's been pretty enthusiastic about it. And how much of an understanding about certain things you have to have before you, uh, before you cut a deal, so to speak? I mean, about smoking in a house, for example, or do you have use of a car, or uh, what's in the refrigerator and the wine cellar? You know, the deal is really, um, our house is your house on, on both sides. Um, we do leave one sheet with instructions and information about, you know, boring things like, you know, how the AC works and trash pickup. But there are really no rules. Um, we do have friends from Paris who just stayed here. They're smokers, and we asked them just to smoke outside. So that wasn't an issue at all. There are really no rules. We do um, expect, we do leave our house really, really clean with clean sheets on the bed. Um, our friends do the same, and, and you know, it, when we get home, it looks much like we left it, which is always a happy thing. That is a happy thing. Now, what? Let's talk about your experiences of going into their homes. What kind? Have you had surprises? You know, you're going to homes in Europe with different electrical currents and so on. But I mean, have you had any surprises where you've gone, "Oh dear," or "Wow, this is great"? You know, we um, on we we have had some surprises. Most of them are good ones. You know, we've been delighted to to explore neighborhoods and find restaurants and markets that we wouldn't have known about otherwise. Um, um, in Paris this past summer, um, I was delighted to find that our friend, who's a journalist there, has a home office. So I was able to use that and get some work done. Um, for um, for our 11-year-old daughter, it's interesting to see how other people live. You know, you mentioned the electrical sockets, but, you know, toilets and tubs in separate rooms in Europe, for instance. Um, we're also, you know, it forces us to be more resourceful um, and, and adaptable. You know, in Paris, our friend's very large cat took to sleeping in our daughter's bed. Now, that's something that wouldn't happen at home, but, well, you know, Paris is the city of love, so we sort of went along with that. And knowing your daughter, I can't imagine she minded that one bit. Not at all. But on the downside, I will say we we didn't actually know there would be a cat in the apartment <laughs> um, before before we got there, and so um, you know that was a surprise. Um, but but you know we made it work, and it was it was enjoyable well, so you, actually. So you had to feed the cat and change the cat litter and all that. You know, we we did have to feed and water the cat and occasionally scoop out the litter, but in the in the happy surprise department, um, our friends there have a guy named Alfred who, who comes around and does the heavy lifting when it comes to actually changing out the litter box and all that. So 
Um, Alfred. That was a good thing. Alfred. We all need an Alfred, I learned. That's quite a step down from working for Batman. (laughs) Exactly. Coming to change the kitty litter in a Paris apartment. <laughs> Have you? Well, has there been any downsides? Is there anything for uh, someone who's thinking about doing this? Is there anything you would advise to avoid uh, something that's disappointing? You know, um, I will say. I mean, we don't. As you mentioned, we don't use a service. We've we've just been trading with friends, and um, because it's not a formal arrangement, you know, things can things can change and go go wrong, if you will. So, in one case, we were swapping with friends who live in Vienna, Austria, and work kept. one of the the wife of our our friend there back in Vienna. So she was actually there when we stayed there. Her husband and son came here to stay in New York in our place. So it wasn't a full swap. You know, I mean, but that wasn't that wasn't a problem either because we really like her. Um and so, you know, I mean, things can change. You know, plans change. Things can can not be exactly what you've expected, but we actually find, you know, having to um, get used to the unexpected and adapt is sort of part of what makes these arrangements interesting. And good training for the daughter as well, that life is exactly. full of surprises. Exactly. She right. learns to go with the flow. I just, I'm really surprised your friends didn't mention the cat. That's... <laughs> We were a little surprised as well, particularly since we have a dog, and we sent our dog to sleepaway camp in Pennsylvania when mm-hmm. they were here. <laughs> yeah. We may rethink that next time. Melanie Wells is a journalist and, well, now consultant in uh, New York City. And uh, I thank you for joining me, Melanie, and I hope, uh, hope it continues to work out and that the other people let you know about the creature in the place before you get there. <laughs> Thanks, Rudy. You're listening to Rudy Max's World. We'll be right back in just a moment. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Keith Bellows, the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler magazine, about the Balkans, where he just returned from. Stick around. Rudy Max's World is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at RudyMaxa.com. Do you live with stress? If you have nervousness or common everyday anxiety, we're looking for you. Because right now we're sending risk-free supplies of a fast-acting supplement to listeners of this station. You heard right. Every listener who calls right now will learn how to get a risk-free bottle of Stress Block, a naturally derived formula that promotes feelings of calmness, alertness, and focus in just moments. Supplies for this risk-free offer are limited, so don't wait. Just call 1-800-501-2690. Stress Block is a fast-acting, non-prescription formula to support relaxation without causing drowsiness. Your nervousness is guaranteed to begin fading like magic in just minutes. This special risk-free offer is for listeners of this station, but it won't last. Call us now for this exclusive Stress Block risk-free offer. Just call 1-800-501-2690. That's 1-800-501-2690. Call 1-800-501-2690. It's time to break up with your current phone. For a limited time, you can get a free 4G LTE phone when you switch to Boost Mobile. That's right. All you have to do is switch. Now, don't worry. Your current phone isn't going to be mad at you. Jealous, maybe, but not mad. It doesn't have feelings under that screen. It's just a bunch of parts. Plus, Boost Mobile has plans starting at only $40 a month with unlimited talk, text, and data. Seems like that's something you could take home to mom. So go ahead and leave your old phone for a new phone with a better plan. Your old phone will never know, but your wallet will. 
Get a free 4G LTE phone when you switch to Boost Mobile. Plans start at only $40 a month with unlimited talk, text, and data. So you never have to hold back. Visit your local Boost Mobile retailer for details. Boost Mobile. Promotion valid until 9-30-14 at participating dealers while supplies last and only for new monthly activations porting in from non-sprint-related carriers. Free phone limits to select models. Excludes taxes. Require payment of first month service. $40 plan includes 500 megabytes a month of high-speed data. Offers and coverage not available everywhere. Additional terms and restrictions apply. See participating dealers for details. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. Heartburn sufferers can now eat at the corner of Look Spicy and I'm Going In. That's because Walgreens makes it easy with new Nexium 24-hour. Now the number one prescribed acid-blocking brand is available without a prescription for frequent heartburn. So swing by Walgreens. You'll be in and out with the protection you need to spice things up. Walgreens, at the corner of happy and healthy. May take one to four days for full effect. Use as directed to treat frequent heartburn, not for immediate relief. To participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. Welcome back. Well, Albanians, Bulgarians, Croatians, Bosnians, Greeks, Romanians, Slovenians, Serbs, folks who live in Montenegro are called Montenegrins, Macedonians, all of those folks... Um, occupy the Balkan Peninsula, which is a geographical region in southeastern Europe that uh, southeast Europe that takes its name from the Balkan Mountains. Um, we're talking, we're talking a whole lot of different people there. And my friend Keith Bellows, he's the editor of National Geographic Traveler. He's been on the show many times. And nice to have you. Did you just get back yesterday from the Balkans, uh, Keith? I, I did, really. Yes. Well, thank you for doing the show. I know you don't know what time it is, but uh, it's uh, Saturday morning, by the <laughs> way, as we broadcast live. Um, uh, you're going to be on two segments, so I want to divide this. But I want to just start with, uh, first of all, why were you in the Balkans, and where were you in the Balkans? Okay, so I was in the Balkans um, largely on a fact-finding mission. Typically, what we'll do is we'll go out, try to figure out, is there a story here, what earth is going on, and um, come back and you know, kind of figure out, geez, is this a place we want our readers to know about, or is this a place we should just pass on? And I should tell you, by the way, you've got a really um, great summary of just how fragmented the Balkans are, and hence the phrase Balkanization. Um, but I came back blown away, and where I was um, was uh, Kosovo, Albania, and Macedonia. Now, now not, leaving aside Macedonia, well, just even the word Balkans, to many Americans, spells trouble. You know, it's where yeah. the world war began. You know, all this bad stuff happens there. You know, um, I gather, uh, unlike some other places now in 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 the world, um, the peace generally reigns. Am I correct? Yes, you are. But uh, you know, and by the way, we, you know, the superpowers are probably as often as the case. We're really kind of responsible for setting the Balkan, you know, disaster into motion. It started in 1915. 
when they were sort of carving up the Ottoman Empire, uh, around World War One, and it just got you know it just snowballed through this area, and it just it was like throwing a mirror against the against the wall. It just this this huge huge yeah. area, mostly controlled by Turkish, uh, just shattered. Keith, let me just interrupt you. I know it sounds like you're on a cell phone. And you're going in and out. Is there any way you stand next to a window or somewhere we might get a stronger thing, or, or just speak up just a little? You're going in and out. In your voice uh, no, sometimes. I can yell. I can That's yell. good. Yelling helps. Yeah, <laughs> Go yeah. And yell. Okay, I'm happy yeah. to video a lot of that there in the Balkans, by the way. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sorry. So you you were in what part of the Balkans were you in? So I started in Kosovo, which. Okay. Um, it's a sort of a very good introduction because it's a little sad, to be honest with you. It's a lot of poverty. It's 40% uh, unemployment. Oh, my goodness. Um, it, it is uh, an area that probably t- t- took the brunt of a lot of, um, it's certainly the, the conflict that I was aware of. So you would see, you know, a tank in a backyard. You would see a bunker. Um, you know, you actually would see bunkers everywhere. There were remnants of the disappeared. Um, there were, um, you know, barbed wire everywhere. So it was it was somewhat sad. There's a book called The Balkan Ghosts, and you could feel them walk the streets. Really? Now, I know that's landlocked. Is that hampering their uh, their ability to revive the economy? What is, what well, is causing... I think, well, I think part of it's because... Um, so the communists came in from 1945 to 1990, um, they basically gave everybody a safety net, which was, you know, free, uh, you know, employment and, and free medical and free uh, education. And then when that left, you know, the bottom fell out. They, you know, they were used to being taken care of. And there's a certain amount of nostalgia for those days. Chinese came in, basically gave them a car, but forgot to give them the keys. And so they built <laughs> a lot of stuff and then they left. Um, so, so they're sort of finding their own way. Now, Kosovo, you know, probably a little bit like Serbia, um, is is sort of the it's the worst case scenario, uh, and then it gets progressively better depending if you're in Bulgaria or you're Romania or you're in Macedonia. Um, it's a little bit more highly evolved, a little less um, showing the, the threadbare aspects of the conflict. Did you sense in Kosovo the tension between the, uh, whatever Serb populations left there? I mean, is that still is it sort of like Northern Ireland where there's still some metaphysical or otherwise walls up? Yes, there's no question. I mean, each each person you meet. I mean, first of all, they all speak Albanian. Um, they're either politically motivated or they're religiously motivated, and most of them are Muslims. But they're they have a certain kind of anti-governmental and perhaps any religious point of view. So these Muslims can drink, you know, they have a good time, you know, they, they, they've set their own rules. All right, um, we're going to take a break. Keith, we're going to take a break here, but when I come back, we're going to talk about tourism in the Balkans, if you don't mind, and uh, some specific countries. We'll be right back here in Rudy Max's World with Keith Fellows from National Geographic Traveler Magazine. To participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. The Balkans uh, comprise a 
huge swath of southeastern Europe uh, includes countries such as Albania, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Bulgaria, Kosovo, Macedonia, Montenegro, and to some extent Croatia, Slovenia, Serbia, Romania, a little bit of Turkey, a little bit of Greece, a little bit of Italy. At any rate, uh, our guest Keith Bellows, the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler, just returned uh, Friday from uh, the Balkans, and we were talking a little about the history and before the commercial break. Let's talk about tourism. If you were going to visit the Balkans as a tourist, um, and because you're interested in the culture, not because you want to go have a beach vacation, so we'll leave aside Greece and Italy and you know those little sections of Turkey. Uh, where would you go, Keith, and what would I find? Um, you know, the interesting thing about the Balkans is it's got everything, and and it's pretty undeveloped. So. If you look at Greece, you think of, you know, ruins and, and incredible monuments and so forth. Well, the Balkans have those in, in spades. In fact, if you blew up the earth there, you would find um, ruins like that would boggle the mind. You do have the coastline. You have these incredible mountains. You've got, um, you know, national parks that are you know, where there's wild boar. You've got biking. You've got hiking. You've got horseback riding. We went horseback riding the last day I was there, uh, albeit in the pouring rain. Um, but it was rustic. <laughs> it was real. It was it was this sort of sense of you know it's not it's not totally 100 percent ready for prime time, but it's getting there. And the beauty of it is that it's not totally ready for prime time. Um, and you see a place like this, and you kind of go, well, it can be developed really, really well, um, or it can be developed really, really badly. And parts of the coastline, for instance, which, um, you know, been treated to the largesse, I guess you would say, of the Russians, which means big, big, nasty hotels. Um, right. And then there's other stretches of beach which are completely untouched. So um, it really, it's really all about what kind of, um, you know, tourism you want, but it's all there. Is Did you stay only in Kosovo? No, I'm sorry. We went um, We went into Albania. Um, we went into Macedonia. Macedonia has probably got the most highly involved tourism infrastructure um, and um, just a stunning, stunning place. I mean, they all are. I mean, th- th- these are places where you walk into a you know, a, a church, and I'm not particularly, you know, I can do my, my diet of churches when I'm on the road, but, and, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, this church has been around for 25 centuries, uh, it's got a thousand <laughs> frescoes, and you kind of, you have to be in awe of that. How did you get between um, these destinations? Um, we, we bussed it, um, okay. we rode it, we, you know, we hiked it. All right, but you didn't fly? No, we did not fly. Okay. Okay, okay, so you could visit. Did you go to Montenegro? No, I didn't go to Montenegro, it's, but uh, it's, it's certainly on my list, having seen what I've seen of what I've seen. Yeah, it's on my list as, as well. But I'm interested, what, uh, what did you say Macedonia, is, you think, is the most developed? I, don't have a, I, don't, I can't even imagine what Macedonia is like. I've never been, but obviously. Okay, so ima- uh, imagine, uh, imagine the Mediterranean. Yeah. Um, imagine that the beaches are... You know, certainly not crowded. Um, imagine and then throw in some just stunning, stunning uh, churches and monuments and so forth. Um, pepper in a few, a few, many, many mountains um, with monasteries that can you know date back five, six, seven, eight thousand years. Um, add some amazing uh, coastal seafood, Mediterranean style and then go up into the mountains and you have you know cheese and you know and uh, 
you know, sort of what I would call mystery meat, but all tasty. And, so do you, but um, do you feel like you're in a in a Mediterranean environment? Because again, the word Balkans sometimes makes us think of dark, angry people who want to fight each other. I mean, does no, Macedonia... no, 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 not at all. I mean, yes, I felt when on the coast, it is as Mediterranean as you can imagine, except there aren't that many people. And, really? you okay. know, there, there's a certain kind of lust for the land that they have. That, that one of our guides told us an amazing story. He said, look, there are mountains everywhere in the world except for Belgium. And this mountain, this mountain right here is the mountain that speaks to me. My grandmother used to tell stories about this. And, of course, this whole area is about diaspora, so people have spilled over all over the world. And he said, there, my, my grandmother said there were, there, were, there were stones and there were clouds. The stones are the people that came back to live in the land because they can't leave it behind. And the clouds are still looking for a place to settle. Oh, oh that's great. Well, where, how do you get to Macedonia? Where do you fly into? Uh, Scorgey. Um, which is um, ah, you know, the major and airport. So anyway, you can fly anywhere into Europe and then connect to Scoja. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, fascinating. So, are we going to be reading about it in the next couple of years in National Geographic Traveler? Something? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty committed to it. I think that uh, I have a pretty good score, story angle. It's you know when you're moving as fast as we were, um, it's hard to sort of really sit right. down and talk to enough people. But you know, I'm going to do that. Okay. Keith Bellows is the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler. He just got back from Balkan, the Balkans, which is a region I don't know well. I mean, I've been to Greece and Italy, obviously, but uh, Macedonia sounds like the next, next stop. Thank you, Keith, for stopping in. My pleasure. Take care, man. Bye-bye. You as well. We're, taking, we're coming to the end of Rudy Max's World, and I'm delighted you could join me today. We'll do it again next weekend. Meanwhile, if you'd like to uh, receive my weekly newsletter, which is free, and uh, just send me an email. Rudy at RudyMaxa.com and put subscribe in the subject line or go to our Facebook page and hit like and you can also subscribe to the newsletter there. My thanks to Jeff Ryder, our engineer. Janet DeAcevito McDonald is my producer. I'm Rudy Maxa. Nice having you in the house. See you next week. You've been listening to Rudy Maxa's World and as always you're hearing Must Hear Radio on the SSI Radio Network.